Raiders Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Wednesday, September 23rd edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez, presented by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. Bill Meltzer going to join us momentarily as we discuss the Stanley Cup Finals, the NHL Awards, and what this Stanley Cup Final with the Dallas Stars and last year's winner, the St. Louis Blues, has in common with the Philadelphia Flyers and where they are right now and their progression and their arc towards becoming a team that can win the Stanley Cup. More on that with Bill Meltzer coming up. Uh, A lot to get into in this episode. We're on our Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule. NHL draft is coming. Brent Flair will join us, the Flyers' assistant GM, uh, in a couple of uh, episodes' time. Also, we're going to have Scouts Week. We did Coaches Week uh, during the NHL pause. We're going to have a Scouts Week coming up where we're going to talk to different Flyers scouts from around the globe. Going to give very unique insight on the scouting process, how do they evaluate players, what this draft looks like, and some great stories as well. So uh, a rare opportunity for Flyer fans to get a peek behind the curtain from actual NHL scouts. So looking forward to that. Without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Flyers insider Bill Meltzer. And joining us once again here on Flyers Daily as we are on our three-day-a-week schedule but he joins us on this Wednesday edition of Flyers Daily. Bill Meltzer from NHL.com, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. Bill, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Jason. How about you? I'm hanging in, man, and I'm watching these Stanley Cup finals, and I had to get you on because we're going to talk about a team that I think is going to win the Cup this year. I bet against the Stars in every round, Bill, except for the finals. Uh, they made me a believer. And a team that won the Cup last year. So we're going to talk about that. Um, momentarily, but uh, I want to hit you on a couple things before we even get to that. Uh, I saw today that the commissioner of the NBA, Adam Silver, uh, came out and uh, spoke regarding the starting of uh, the next NBA season. They haven't culminated their season yet, as hasn't the NHL. Uh, But Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, did say uh, that they probably are going to start sometime in early or mid-January. What's your understanding of uh, the the latest on the NHL start time? I know the tentative date, according to the uh, critical dates when the return to play agreement was made, was December 1st. Bill Daly did throw a little bit of cold water on that recently on uh, Pierre Lebrun's uh, podcast. Uh, But what's your understanding as opposed uh, uh, in regards to a timeline for the next NHL season? Yeah, and, and, and Gary Bettman also reiterated that to some degree. Um, I, for what I'm hearing is what's you know, probably realistic is early to mid-January, kind of around Martin Luther King Day being, being a, a realistic timetable to get started. Uh, they, they'd, like to, you know, they'd like to have fans in the stands, but getting in a, a full season, bringing in, bringing in revenue of you know, some sort would be you know, the priority to have as full of a season as possible. So I don't, I don't, I'm personally don't think the, the odds of, you know, certainly not early December. And then, then you start running into the, you know, the Christmas holiday break. And after players just, uh, just gave up their, their summer for the bubble, you know, they're to, to ask them to you know, give up, give up any dates in there and try to negotiate that with NHLPA. I just think it's better to wait till January anyway. So it wouldn't shock me if you see, you know, camp slash couple preseason games. Uh, rolling in, in January and then you know the early part of January and then starting by the middle of the month. Boy, the interesting thing about that is not the 24 teams that went to uh, uh, the bubble locations of Toronto and Edmonton. I think about the seven other teams, Bill, that haven't played a hockey game since March 10th. Sure. <laughs> I mean, you're sure. looking at almost a calendar year that they have not played a game. It's been already right now 
close to seven months that they have not played a hockey game or had an organized practice. That's an incredibly oh, long time for yeah, those teams. It could be, yeah, easily, easily 10 months, you know, since between their, their last game. So it's uh, yeah, unusual times for sure. Yeah, something the Flyers do not have to worry about. That's because they just played till a couple of weeks ago. Um, Bill, a couple of things um, with the, the, the league coming back. Um, I know Gary Bettman in his State of the League address uh, prior to get the first game of the Stanley Cup Finals on Saturday did mention that they do want to play an 82-game schedule and they don't want it to run into summer too long. So if this starts in January, how can the league go about moving this schedule along as quickly as possible. We know you can eliminate the all-star break and the player pseudo bye week, but that that only gains you a couple of days, maybe eight days total. How do you get this started and finished and not run it into August again? Well, you know, you, you know, in a typical season teams, uh, quite often you'll see it in October teams will have a, a four day break here and, you know, and, It'll pick up like the Flyers had a pretty light, you know, they did start the season in, you know, over in, in Prague, but after they came back, they had a pretty light schedule in October. Then all of a sudden, I think they had 16 games in 30 days in November. That could be the norm for every team, you know, month in and month out for the season. You're playing virtually every other day, um, you know, on average with, with a lot of back-to-back, three and four, four and six. And, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be really, really grueling to get, to get 82 games in. But if you, if you play at that kind of pace, you know, you could, you could get the season done and maybe a month later in July. So you could conceivably hand out the cup in about mid July, and then you would probably yeah, want to sure. get onto your normal calendar. Wouldn't you get, get in a training camp in, you know, September 10th and uh, start your season early October and get back to that normal schedule. Would that be the, or would you kind of slant that even further into the next season? I don't know. I, I think they'd like to get back on a normal schedule if they possibly can. That would mean a quick turnaround for the for the draft, which is separate work from teams anyway. Uh, you know, the only thing is, of course, you have the free agency season, the uh, you know the expansion draft, and all that's coming up after the season. Oof. So those are the things that I, you know I'm kind of okay. How are you going to work all that in? But it, it could be done to start relatively on time. You know, you start camps uh, by mid September, and then you're starting the season early October, like usual. Yeah, I'd like to see him get back to normal as well. As a matter of fact, um, when I went on Facebook the other day, uh, I had a Facebook memory pop-up. It was yesterday or Monday, the 21st. And it seemed like about eight different memories showed up from different years, including last year, that that's when the Flyers' first preseason home game always seems to fall. And I take the same picture every year from the bench of of the logo in an empty Wells Fargo Center. Matter of fact, in 2012, I think it was, I took that picture and it was just newly named the Wells Fargo Center. Um, right. <laughs> and, and we're usually starting our preseason now, ready to embark on this crazy journey. And we still haven't handed out the cup and, and we don't have a start date yet. So it's just a, part of this yeah. part and parcel with oh, this okay, real sure. world. Yeah, yeah, we're usually talking about, you know, the, the rookies game or the game in, you know, mm-hmm. the game that, that's always played in, uh, they've been playing one in, in Allentown, you know. Yeah, recently, split squads. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. Yeah. I wish it was back to normal right now because I'm ready for another season. I know a lot of people listening are as well. Um, real quick, uh, before we get into some more detailed uh, stuff about the Stanley Cup final and how that relates to the Flyers, uh, awards night uh, was on Monday. Um, and let's go through a couple of these. I want to see if uh, you were surprised. Do you, do you vote on these, Bill? Uh, I do not. I was a member of the uh, Professional Hockey Writers Association for a number of years. Uh, but when I started doing contract work with the Flyers, I had to uh, – 
give them my PHWA membership. But uh, oh. yeah, but I, I did it did it did it for you know quite a few years. All right, so let's start with the Calder. Were were you shocked that it ended up being Kale McCarr as the winner, or did you uh, were you kind of leaning in another direction when it came to uh, um, the Calder Trophy? Kind of maybe Quinn Hughes was the other, I guess, viable option. But uh, are you okay with Kale McCarr as the winner? Well, I'm 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 fine with McCarr. He's going to be a really good defenseman in this league for a long, long time. Quinn Hughes is a you know fantastic young offensive defenseman. You know, and Kubali finished third, and it really was like it was a three-horse race. Adam Fox had a really good year too, so I, I, I think that the I think they got the the top four right in there. I, it didn't really it didn't really surprise me, you know, and, and it's something that cuts off the end of the season if you include the if you include play include a playoffs too, because the voting is in before then. A guy like Nick Suzuki probably would have jumped up to the borderline of the top five, top six, but uh, yeah, I think I think they got it. Like I think that they got one just about right. Yeah, I know a lot of people were starting to lean towards Quinn Hughes. Um, I, I'm trying to recall a time that I remember where you had as many dynamic young defensemen entering yeah. this league. I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, Ivan Provorov's one of them. Miro Heiskanen uh, with Dallas, who's playing in the cup final, is another. Sergachev. An- I mean, you have so many great young defensemen. It's almost like the, the really good athletes started to p- decide to play defense and they weren't all worried about getting the girl and scoring goals. Oh, for sure. And, and you, you're seeing, you know, I mean, and there's more on the way. I mean, the, the Flyers have one, you know, coming in Cam York, too. I think fans are going to really take two here. But, you know, like uh, Keandre Miller with the Rangers, just fantastic athletes, could, could fly. They're, they're good with the puck. They, you know, I mean, they, you know, it, it, it's really, really the nature of that position has changed where, you know, you really have to be a pretty complete player and, and, uh, you know, even even the guys who stay at home guys for the most part can really can really skate too. So it's uh, you know definitely it's definitely something that's changed. Um, you know, it was always too that the development cycles for the defensemen were the second longest compared to the goalies. But you're seeing more and more young defensemen. You know, guys who are 20 years old. Um, you know, in some cases, some cases debuting in the league even earlier making an impact uh, pretty, pretty early in the league. And that's a change too, because it used to be, you know, once you take a guy four or five years to really settle in at that position and the, you know, a lot of tremendous young hockey players. Now that being said, I mean, yeah, we're like, yeah, we might as well do the Norris and, and Roman Yossi is still Roman Yossi to me is, you know, just a, a fantastic player. Um, you know, to me though, the best defenseman in the league, he had some injury issues this year. Uh, if I had to pick one defense from the NHL, it'd still be Victor Hedman. If I had to, you know, pick yeah. any D in the league, it would be him. He, he seems to be the guy that affects a game so much. I mean, the guy like yeah. look, uh, look. A lot of these guys, Roman Yossi does. You know, number teams number one defenseman do. Uh, but to me, I look at Hedman. I just look at that size. I look at everything he brings to the table, and I, I agree with you. And we've gotten a good look at him here in the Stanley Cup uh, this playoffs, and if they end up winning the Cup, Tampa Bay. Um, I have to admit he's going to be right in there to win that con Smythe. Take him away from that team, I think you got real problems. Um, but he, as you said, Roman Yossi wins the Norris. Uh, the Vesna, uh, always a, a very interesting category um, for me because it's one I don't understand the voting on. I don't understand why general managers vote on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but Connor Hellebuck ends up winning uh, the Vesna. And I'm fine with the choice because he had a tremendous year. We know all that the Winnipeg lost in the uh, – off-season from that blue line with Truba, with Tyler Myers, uh, and others, and Dustin Bufflin to boot. 
uh, that he was going to have his work cut out for him, and he had a real good season. So I'm fine with that. Jacob Markstrom was another guy that I really liked the season out of. Vasilevsky was a finalist, as was Rask. Uh, but I'm assuming you're good with Hellebuck? Oh, yeah. I, I, I You know, I, I had Hellebuck. If I, I had the handicap, I had Hellebuck winning it. Um, you know, I, I, Vasilevsky won it last year, and, and you know, <laughs> he's a he's the star goalie in the league. But I thought Hellebuck was the pretty clear-cut number one guy in the uh, – regular season this year actually you know going into the playoffs i had i had winnipeg being a surprise team just because of their goaltender it didn't work out that way Man, me too. but i mean i held about yeah Hellebuck is a you know is a, is a tremendous goalie i you know sometimes i find it interesting too i like to i like to look down the list a little and see where you know certain guys ended up placing um i, I don't know how jordan bennington got a third place vote this year i think that's more based off of last season um but uh you know he I, I think I think in the very near future we're going to see Carter Hart starting to get some votes in this race too. Um, you know, I, he didn't I, obviously he was like a split time starter this year, so I didn't didn't expect him to you know to get votes this year. But uh, you know, you look at some guys who got votes this year, Jari and Kemper, were good goalies of course. But uh, you know, but I, I think uh, you know I think he's I think Carter Hart is is an elite goalie that's that's just about at that level. This one in you know, and Merzlikens also got, I think, fifth place this this year. So, you know, I, I think Carter Hart is right on right on the verge of breaking into that that top echelon. I would would not be at all surprised a year from now, if, you know, Hart's right in, the, if not not in the top contention, but right right in that you know right in that group of names that are starting to get mentioned. Yeah, and the other thing, Merzlikens probably won't even be the starter in Columbus next year with yeah. the Corpedo out there, known as Corpusello, and Corp's been unbelievable. There's this notion too, Bill, that you know, like a guy like Anton Hudobin, who's of course been so good for the Dallas Stars, that he's this—he has been a career backup. He's been labeled that way. His numbers aren't indicative of that, though. He's got a career 919 save percentage in 218 NHL games, 923 in 41 games last season, a 930 in 30 games in this abbreviated season. So people, I don't think, should be really surprised at what they're seeing out of Anton Hudobin. He's always been a good puck stopper. So he, he always has been. Yeah, you know, he's a guy who sometimes when he has a bad night, he'll, he'll look really bad on that particular night. But he, he just, he's a great reflex goalie. Um, you know, he'll make, he'll make some tremendous saves. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's not, he's not, he's a little unorthodox sometimes, but I think he's, I think he's a really quality goalie. And when he gets hot, he can absolutely steal games that we've seen in the playoffs. And I mean, Dallas, Dallas is lucky to have him. I mean, Bishop was their unquestioned number one and, you know, and for a reason, but uh, I mean, you know, I, I think that Hudobin is Hudobin has shown what he can do. I mean, he's a guy who's certainly capable of starting, certainly capable of, as you see, taking a team right now that's three wins away from from a cup. So, you know, it's it's not it's not a huge surprise for people who followed him, particularly. You know, he's given the Flyers troubles over the years, going all the way back. I think he broke in with Minnesota, I believe. Wow. Um, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's a guy who's picked up some wins over the Flyers against the years, and and you know he comes up with some saves that just boggle your mind. So he's, uh, you know, he's he's a quality goaltender, and they're lucky to have him, and you know has a good team around him too, clearly too. But uh, yeah, I mean, the goaltending is always the biggest piece of the playoffs, and he's been tremendous. Yeah, and then he, he's going to be a free agent as well, complicating that free agency field. A couple of those goaltenders that were finalists or in the running for that Vesna, including Jacob Markstrom as well. Uh, the Hart Trophy uh, goes to the league's MVP. I'm not sure how we defined uh, this award 
because I don't know if it's most valuable player, the best player or what, but uh, that, that seems to vary in people's voting. But Leon Dreisaitl, German, the big German, gets the, uh, gets the Hart Trophy. He had a tremendous season, Bill. He was so good this year. And uh, he ends up with 1,309 points uh, to, to win, not points in NHL points, but voting points. And, and he takes yeah. the heart. Uh, but I'm a little surprised that number four is David Pasternak. I don't think many guys in the league were better uh, than Pasternak this year. And it, there was a huge drop-off. He only had three first-place votes. Yeah, although although my pick this year would have been Nathan McKinnon. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mean, I know Colorado ended up losing, you know, <laughs> you're capable, capable of being a team in the finals right now. But, you know, he he is one of the, you know, who, I mean, because Connor McDavid is in the league, too. So it's hard to say that uh, McKinnon is the fastest, but he's right up there, too. He he can push the pace to like, like, you know, like he can't believe. I know he's out. He's I know like, he's, you know, he's out in the Western Conference or whatever. That is one dynamic hockey player. And uh you know, he's, so I mean, honestly, just given given the season that Colorado had and how central McKinnon was to it, uh, he he personally would have been my pick. But you you know, you couldn't have gone wrong with uh, you know with Drysital, you know, or you, you couldn't have gone wrong with a guy like Pasternak either. So you know, I I mean, it's really you could give me cases for you know probably any of those guys, truthfully. Yeah, pick your carb. You could have gone uh, bread or pasta uh, with the bread man and pasta. <laughs> uh, but there you go. Um, so that's the Hart Trophy, and uh, they're your award winners. Now, Bill, one of the things I wanted to get you on to talk about today is because I was watching this final, and I'm watching Dallas, and you just alluded to it. They were 26 in goal scoring this regular season. Uh, they, they have some you know, high-end talent on that team. Jamie Benn, of course, Tyler Sagan, Miro Heiskanen, Klingberg. Uh, we, you know, we've we know the players that are there and getting paid the, the big bucks. And while well, uh, Sagan's gone 11 games without a goal, uh, but still high price talent. But, and then I looked at last year and I look at the team like the St. Louis blues who came out of nowhere, went on to win that cup, the highest point getter on that team for St. Louis in the regular season prior to winning the cup was Ryan O'Reilly with 77 points. And he's just, to me, he's just so similar to Sean Couturier, uh, your highest goal scorer, Tarasenko, and he's a true sniper. Um, and Tarasenko, he played in 76 games at 33 goals. So it's not like he's a, a 50 goal scorer. I know all Flyer fans want a 50 guy. Um, who doesn't? Uh, but then I, and I look at these two teams and I'm going, you know what? It, it's making me think a little bit differently about how to approach this offseason for Chuck Fletcher. You know, I, I go through these swings of do anything you can to get line A. Go out and get Goudreau. You know, I just want to I want to collect names uh, a lot of times too. But when I look at these two teams, and if Dallas does go on to win the cup, and I look at the the way both these teams want it, staying the course seems way more prudent to me. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, and I just did a blog about this the other day, where a team's goals against average, where they rank in the league in goals against, is much better indicator if they're going to even make the postseason than how much they score. And that's what you had the, the last two seasons. I mean, last year, St. Louis was actually – and they got really crisp. Remember, they were in last place in the West just after New Year's, uh, and uh, you know they got they got red hot after that. Actually, starting in Philly, but they they ended up kind of middle of the pack in goals, but they were fifth in goals against average this year. The Stars were second in goals against average, um, you know, and you know the transition of that team um, because if you go back, really, really you go back to Ken Hitchcock's one year there that was the beginning of the team starting to transform into what they are now. Because before that, the Stars actually led the league in goals per game and were 30th in goals, goals against average. Um, 
And, uh, you know, when, when Ken Hitchcock went there, he challenged Sagan in particular to become a more complete player, sacrifice some points, and be a more complete player. Um, Sagan, Sagan led the stars in scoring this year, but he only had 50 points. Yeah. But he's a better player now than the year he had 83 points. Because, he, because if he's not scoring, he's, you know, he's, he's making smarter plays with the puck. He's contributing in other ways. Now, obviously, you, know, you want a little more from him offensively, but the, really the way to go is strength down the middle, you have at least three different lines that can score on a given night. Strong team D, strong goaltending. And that, that's what they have in common with last year's uh, St. Louis Blues. That's what they had in common um, to, to an extent, at least with the Islanders, who you know, really, really gave a good run to um, Tampa Bay in the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, that series easily could have gone seven, and if they would have won game two, and maybe would have even swung the other way. When one of the biggest acquisitions this year was Pajot, because when they added Pajot to the Islanders, then suddenly they had three different three different lines that were a threat to score. You know, a good solid fourth line too, but that's not, you know you're not looking really for much offense from your fourth line. But they were a good solid checking physical fourth line, and three different lines of any given night could score. And that's kind of, that's kind of the that's been kind of the uh, blueprint, the, the commonality for teams that have been reaching conference finals and getting to cup finals. And also having, you know, also having a team that's just essentially built for the playoffs, able to win the battles. Players that, uh, you know, people say, well, the Flyers have to get bigger. Do they have to get faster? Well, they have to get a little bit both. Um, you know, players, players that have that combination of both size and mobility. And, uh, I mean, that's something the Islanders really threw a lot at the Flyers. They had, they had size, but they also had guys that could really skate, too, and were very good in the forecheck. You know, you want to have them interspersed in your lineup, particularly through that bottom six group and um you know that that's really that's really where a lot of the islanders improvement came over the latter part of this year where you threw away some of those numbers and same thing with dallas too you don't know you don't you can't really predict who's going to score <laughs> in the playoffs you know uh e- even guys that have that have been playoff warriors in their careers that have put up big numbers in a given year a given two playoffs sometimes even you know they they might not score that much and then they might explode the next playoff year it's just it, offense ebbs and flows, but, yeah, but uh, keeping, yeah, absolutely, precisely, you know, and, and being able, being able, you have to be able to win different ways, but sometimes in the playoffs, you have to win those two to one games, sometimes even one to nothing. That was the weird thing with the Flyers Montreal series was they were not very good offensively, but they were able to win those two to one and one to nothing games and close games out when you had to. But if you keep the score down, you give yourself a chance every single night. And if you if you rely on winning five to four and four to three, that catches up with you. It's very hard to do in this league to outscore your mistakes on a sustained basis. So, you know, while while it would be fantastic for the Flyers to add a goal scoring winger, I spent a couple of days you know talking about this. For one for one thing, the Flyers took their shot at it when JVR was signed by Hexy. Uh, your last or two off seasons ago, that that was the Flyers' move to try to bring in you know your thirty goal scorer guy. Um, his first year with the Flyers, he would have if he hadn't missed I think about five six weeks early in the season. Finished with twenty seven goals um, in I think sixty six games. So if you you know you add another sixteen games to that, he probably gets from twenty seven to thirty goals. And this year this year he was not as good. This year he was not as good offensively, but. Uh, you know, was a little bit better trying to do other things to contribute. But, you know, with Couturier, the number one thing you're looking for 
not Couturier, rather, rather JVR, the number one thing you're looking for is points, right? So if you are not happy with the production you're getting out of him, you know, and, and if you could move his contract, those are two big ifs, right? If you could, but if you could move the contract, yeah, then, then you have the cap space to go look for another goal-scoring winger. Otherwise, he's the guy here. He and Konechny are the two guys that you invest a lot of cap dollars in to be your guys who can get you in that 25 to 30 goal range you know, on the wing. Getting that 40-goal guy, I mean, everybody wants those guys. There's not very many of them around. So, you know, if you, if you have one, you probably have to develop him yourself. Um, either that or you're going to pay a very, very high price. I think the Flyers have to look depth. And to me, the number one need this offseason is their third-line center, whether that comes from within, opening up cap space and bringing in a viable guy. I don't, I don't know how you get that done, but that to me is the number one thing that needs to be you know, shored up between now and the start of next season. Is that guy Nolan Patrick, or you can't rely on that, Bill? Yeah, you know, that's, that's just the thing. I mean, if you, if you could tell me, you know, with a, with a degree of certainty, you know, just hang, hang tight, Patrick will, be, Patrick will be healthy, and he will get back on track to, you know, to, after missing a year, get back on track to becoming, you know, uh, an impact player in the league. If you look at the different players develop at different rates, and from day one of his NHL career, Sean Couture has always been strong defensively. I mean, knew that his first day in the league. He was above average for a veteran, even an 18-year-old. But it took Couture a long time to, you know, get moving offensive. If you look at the first two years of Dolan Patrick's career, you know, he actually outscored Couturier by about 18 points. So, you know, I, it's a little slower than you hope, but, but uh, you know, if he could get back on that track, even though the second year was not better than his first, yeah, I mean, maybe he could be that guy. I, I'm, a little, I'm a little leery about relying on it, especially because, you know, will he be ready to start the season? How much time will it take him to get up to speed? I don't know. I don't, I don't think anybody can really say that. And if you could tell me, okay, this is going to be Morgan Frost breakthrough year. He's going to stake down a spot, you know, and, and uh, be the third line center and, you know, become an impact player in the league, uh, help on, help on the power play, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Clean up the areas you need to clean up. I would say fantastic. If it comes from within, it's, it's uh, always ideal. Um, but I think the Flyers, you know, realistically, again, if they can work the cap space for it, I personally might be more comfortable bringing somebody in. Yeah, and let's see that both of those are, are question marks, and you kind of started your statement. Yeah. If you could guarantee me and know with certainty that we can't do either of those with either of those players, which is the ironic part. Uh, Bill, um, let me uh, uh, get to some Twitter questions. I put out a solicitation. Some people sent in some good questions for this episode. Uh, and we start with uh, Anthony uh, at Spunky41182. He's a frequent tweeter to Flyers Daily. He says, is this the toughest offseason ever with going right from the draft to free agency where wallets are tight while looking to either add or subtract a piece and signing your own free agents, players preparing for a season that may start between 80 and 120 days from now, and adjust to the Seattle expansion draft coming up next summer. Um, this may be the toughest job these GMs will ever face in the NHL, well, a lot of these sports, but in the NHL in particular, um, because of all of those factors, coupled with some teams are even dealing with an internal salary cap, which is not $81.5 million uh, because of loss yeah. of revenue. And, you know, owners sometimes have uh, businesses in other areas that may be even suffering worse than perhaps their NHL franchise instead of looking to save money that way. Um, but is this going to be the toughest offseason 
uh, for these teams? Certain, certainly a very tough offseason, you know, and because you also have to think long-term, too. Uh, you can't just think this season. You know the cap is probably going to be flat for three years, and uh, you have to think long-term. What players are going to be coming up and being resigned? Like the Flyers case, you know, the Carter Hart is going to need a new contract next year. Um, uh, Travis Sanheim will be in the second year of his two-year deal, and he'll be arbitration eligible. He has a really good year. You know, it, it's uh, – and what players are potentially coming up on unrestricted free agency a year from now. So who do you think about extending? All those things you have to think – you have to think longer term, and you can't just go year to year. I mean, the best GMs don't go just year to year anyway, but because there's, there's really very little wiggle room, and um, teams that have cap space now might not have it in a year, and especially if you spend it now, you can end up in trouble in a year, two years out. So – they had teams have to be very, very smart with how they allocate their cap dollars um, this off season. And, you know, you, you want to make a hockey trade, um, but you know, you're also, it's also a little bit of salary matching too. You might have to take, take back the money on the guy you don't necessarily want just to uh, get a, get one year less of term or whatever it might be. You're going to probably see some trades like that, at the draft where, you know, as a hockey trade, it's, it's kind of a lateral move or even, a little bit of a head scratcher, but but it's really done with cap space in mind. So I, I think that that is tough. Um, the only thing I would say might be tougher is when they've gone into off seasons where they're coming to the end of a CBA. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, but I, I think that this is this is up there for different reasons for as to as to why it's tough. I mean, I guess the the good news is everybody's in the same boat. Yeah. Would you have been in favor had when they extended the CBA that? Um, the league and the players would have agreed to a compliance buyout per team like they did uh, way back when? No, I think, you know what, I think that would have been, you know, uh, I think that would have been a, a system where the player, listen, the player gets paid twice in some cases. So, yeah, you know, I, I, think, that, I think that ends up working out. Uh, you know, I, I know that Gary Bettman is not a huge fan of those, and that's been one of the last concessions in the last couple CBAs. But I think that's something that, that alleviates a little bit of pressure. Teams end up, and teams have signed guys to long-term deals, and you know maybe they're maybe they're effective for the first few years of those deals. But you have the guy has three, four years left, or whatever the case might be, Brandon or <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Sometimes sometimes signings just don't work out. So and a, and a guy's hard to move, and you know they don't they don't have the system anymore where you can bury a contract in the AHL, which used that used just that used just to be the way of doing it. Now you can only bury a small amount of it. So. Yeah, that that's something that would have I think been a been a significant help that I think uh, general managers may have been in favor of, maybe not so much owners uh, or the league, but that would have that would have simplified things in terms of alleviating some of the immediate pressure for teams that are bumping up against the ceiling. Yes, and working for the for the owners in essence, Gary Bettman. I'm surprised that he's not more in favor of that because owners love a get out of jail free card on a contract. Uh, they don't like to pay it, but the, what you know, the kind of the, the point of it is, is, you know, control your, control yourself as a GM. Don't give Milan Lucic seven by seven <laughs> and you won't be in this spot or James Neal, yeah. you know, those kind of players. But um, sometimes GMs just cannot help themselves. Uh, let's get into another question here from Sandus, Minnesota. He tweets in and says, is there anyone from the UFA market you like as a potential three C to kind of go back to what we were talking about, Bill? Well, the two caveats here are, you know, cap, cap hit and term. 
Yep. <laughs> now, if, if, now, you know, if, play, if you know, players amenable to like a one-year deal and you can, you know, fit it in your, fit in your cap for a year or whatever, uh, a couple of guys that, uh, that Chuck Fletcher is pretty familiar with, Miku Koivu or uh, Michael Granlund, two guys we know from Minnesota, um, you know, both on the downsides, uh, but both guys could, could fill a, a third-line role for a year, possibly take some pressure off of Dolan Patrick. I mean, you, you know, that's, that's not going to be any great shakes, but it, but it would be an upgrade in the third line, help you keep uh, Scott Lawton on the wing, which I which is where I personally prefer him playing, or if not on the wing, then fourth-line center, um, you know, and, and just, just help your depth out a little bit and, to me, take a little pressure off the young players. But, I mean, you know, listen, it's not a – it's not a spectacular market there for, you know, those guys tend to get locked up. I mean, you know, and for the really top end guys and not, not centers, but uh, you know, guys, guys like Hall and Petrangelo obviously are going to get their market value wherever they do end up signing. Uh, Flyers are not in the game for either guy just because of cap space. You look at a guy like Jumbo Jim, Th- uh, Joe Thornton. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, <laughs> you know, if he, if he and he said he would like to come back for a year. Would he want to come back east again? I mean, obviously, uh, San Jose is kind of in, in rebuilding mode here. Um, I don't think he was so, too pleased yeah. about not being dealt at the deadline, though. No, no. So, you know, I, I yeah, I mean, absolutely. Again, and, and he would strictly, obviously, be a one-year kind of yep. thing. So, yeah. you know, so, yeah, I mean, I would, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, it would be a veteran, you know, and a guy who's, you know, who, who had some cash in the league and, and just be a guy who, you know, I mean, I, I, I'd, be, I'd, look, I'd look at that for a year, sure. Yeah, I think that's an interesting one. Uh, one of the interesting names to throw out there. I mean, he's 41, but he can still distribute too. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, Christopher Mahar tweets in and he says, is there one thing, if there was one thing you could change from this whole 1920 season, what would it be and why? Now, other than the pandemic, <laughs> I mean, you don't want the season to pause, and I would, I would have loved to seen this team just roll their way through the remainder of March into April and then into the playoffs. But uh, I guess we have to take that off the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we, if we, if we eliminate the pandemic, truthfully, even if we don't eliminate the pandemic, for me, it's easy. I, I, I if, if Oscar Lindblom didn't have to go through what he's been through, also Don Patrick as well, but. You know, Oscar's situation was a was a life and death one. If Oscar didn't have to go through that in the year he was having, and you know, all, all the rest of that too, that that's the one thing I would change. Okay, yeah, I would as well. I don't want anybody to have to go through what he went through. Although I think he's going to be a better man uh, for having gone through it, and I think his teammates yeah. gained a lot of very important perspective as well as we did as fans and and commentators as well. Uh, at American Wit on uh, Twitter says curious uh, curious about the roster. He said about the defense. Um, I said, are they going to move Ghost? Also, what about uh, Nolan Patrick and Sam Moran? What are they going to do with them? So let's start with Patrick. We just already talked about. Um, they're not. I don't think they're going to move him. They have to sign him to an RF. He's an RFA, so they have to sign him to a, a deal. Um, and we kind of know what that's going to look like. I talked to Chuck Fletcher. I know you did as well about that. Um, Sam Moran, though, was also uh, mentioned by Chuck Fletcher and Elaine Vino as a guy that he's got to play hockey. He's got to play in the AHL if that's even a possibility for him. Um, is this Moran, is this the last shot for him, Bill? Yeah. I mean, after, I mean, Sam has missed two and uh, two and three quarter seasons, you know, it's, uh, it's a shame. I watched Jamie Alexiak in Dallas mm-hmm. and I 
contributing to a team that's in the finals. You know, first round pick who took a long, long time because he was just a bundle of raw materials, you know, and just a big physical, big, big, big physical defenseman. Um, you know, that really, that really could have been Sam. Um, if he would have stayed healthy. Um, he does need to play hockey. He, he'd have to clear waivers to go to the American Hockey League. I mean, truthfully, I don't think any team would even, would even think of claiming Sam because he hasn't played in two and three quarters years. So, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't think it would be any issue to get him through waivers. And then, you know, Sam has a tremendous half season or whatever and potentially could come up and help at some point. That would be, you know, that would be an ideal world. For nobody who – Nobody works harder than Sam Moran. Nobody's easier to root for, really, than Sam Moran. Just, just a great kid, positive attitude, and you know, I, I, I really, really, really hope Sam makes it back to the National Hockey League. But he's not a guy the Flyers can go into this this season counting on. And I know they're not. I know the plan is the plan for him is to go to the AHL and get time to play. Uh, how about Ghost? Um, what, what would you, uh, uh, on a percentage basis, what would you put the, kind of the percentages that that he's going to be here or be moved? Well, I, I, I would say, that, yeah, I know. I, I would say it's actually, I would actually say that that he's probably the most tradable guy um, within a, you know, that's his contract is tradable. It, it's uh, some team will take a take a gamble that he can recover his form, play on their power play. I don't think he commands a, you know, certainly trade value is down right now. So I would I would put it at better than fifty fifty that that he's traded and. You know, I mean, wherever he goes, you know, I always personally have a soft spot for guys who developed within the system and you see them come up as young players. And that was a guy who was, you know, coming off his freshman year, Union College and you know, small defenseman. I mean, I really I really hope whether it's here or somewhere else the the chain gets back on track, um, you know, but I, I think that just given the three of the last four years for Shane have been kind of tough and you know, was not part of the starting six for half a season here. And uh, unless, unless you want to go into next year, you know, possibly trying to go with a, a, a Gostas Bear Hag third pairing and not bring somebody else in, which is possible, you know, which is possible. They will still have two right shot defensemen. Those two guys have played together before. Um, I don't know if it's an ideal long-term pairing, but, I mean, uh, that is a, a possibility that's out there. Um, you know, and, and obviously to Mark Friedman will be trying to push for a, a roster spot as well. But I would say, I would say odds are pretty good that, uh, you know, flyers call around and there will be teams interested. So, you know, as long as, as long as it's a reasonable return, I, I think that would be, we got the flyers look to move and would also open up, uh, also some cap flexibility for them as well. And maybe that cap space could be used for the following question. JB19 at JTBoz19 on Twitter says, he says, all right, play the game. The Flyers should pursue Alex Petrangelo because, and to make it happen, they'll do ellipses. Um, should, <laughs> should they pursue Petrangelo provided they could clear the space to make it happen? So you're basically looking at moving JVR. <laughs> Yeah, I'm saying you're basically looking at moving JVR and his seven million, right, and and Ghost, and retaining virtually nothing off of it. Maybe and three then, million retain, and then you got to yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know that that would that would get the Flyers in the salary cap ballpark. But 
That, that's so much easier said than done. And, you know, would it be fantastic to have Petrangelo uh, as a legitimate, you know, top pairing there with, uh, you know, with Provorov? And, Oof. you know, that you're able to move Niskin in down to, to play in your third pairing because I think you're going to want to keep Sandheim and, uh, and Myers together. Or you have the option of flip-flopping the two. I mean, it would be it'd be fantastic. That would be a that'd be a that would be a, a tremendous blue line. You know, if you could afford it, if the salary cap were not an issue. Unfortunately, it is, and I, I think the uh, steps it would take to get there are very hard to accomplish. You know, no nobody's going to just help the Flyers create cap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, imagine that blue line though. That would be like Nashville Predator-esque with. Yossi and Ellis and go on and on. I mean, they had Seth Jones at one point. I mean, you imagine that Petrangelo and Provorov, Sandheim and Myers, Niskanen and Haig. Or Niskanen and Ghost. Yeah, then you could have your power play guy on the third pairing. And I mean, that would be, that would be a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous starting six if, if, if you could do that. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's not, uh, it's not EA Sports. It's easier, much easier said than done. Bill, how much relief can adding um, a, a decent level or a high-level prospect add uh, in a trade situation financially for you as a team uh, when you're trying to move out of contract? Say, say it was James Van Riemsdyk who's got uh, that $7 million left, uh, three years left on that deal, uh, $7 mil per. Uh, if you are to include and you don't want to retain any of his salary and you really want to make a good trade and clear cap space, how much uh, does equity does uh, adding a prospect add to that equation? It certainly helps. Or if you're willing to part with a first round pick, which is both both are ouches, you know, both of yeah. them make it painful to make to make such a trade. So you have to be really, really sure what you're able to bring in. Um, you know, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it, certainly it would. I, I you know, I'd be I'd be very reluctant to move Morgan Frost, and then you get down to you know, and, and in future episodes upcoming, we will be talking about the draft. But I think that the flaw, the state of the Flyers' farm system in terms of forwards is a little, little bit of flux right now, just because you know, just because the young players who've come up to the NHL level, in some cases there, there's health issues. Uh, German Rubchov, who's a first-round pick, has had injury issues a couple of years in a row. You're hoping that uh, you know, you're hoping a guy like Jay O'Brien, who was a first-round pick. Uh, Bobby Brink on the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's just the guys who are high-round picks who you were, you know, figuring in your picture here. You know, some of those guys are, are, are kind of a little bit question marks right now. So, you know, I, I think if you if you part with uh, a guy like Frost, it would be the, probably the guy that most teams would be interested in. Because you, better, you better be sure what's coming back. And you also have to be sure, not just skill-wise, you don't want to, got, you don't, don't want to get a guy who's 29 years old either. You know, I mean, it was something it was something that the previous regime, Ron Hextall, would talk about, and I would agree with. You know, if you're getting a guy who's 25 and, and you know, will get you 35 goals a year for several years, then, you know, go on, do it, you know. But it, but if you're getting a guy who's in his late 20s and has four more years to run his contract and then two years from now, okay, it's another guy in his 30s and you're, you're playing that cycle all over again except you traded a good young player for it. I don't know if that's a way to to have any kind of sustained sustained success. Again, I mean, it's uh, you know, it, it's a league where so much of success comes from who you can develop internally, who can start to make an impact while they're still affordable, and uh, guys either on their entry level or their second contracts. 
and uh, then you then you round it out with maybe a big piece or two coming in from the from the outside. But you are you have to have some impact from guys that are still inexpensive too. So and that has to come from within. So yes, you could fold in a first round pick or you you could fold in you know a prospect and then get some value coming back. But uh, you know you can't get that trade wrong. Yeah, uh, you can't build teams through free agency. It's silly season. You, you have to be able to draft and develop in a salary cap league, no doubt about it. Uh, Bill, this was awesome. As you mentioned, uh, the draft is uh, getting closer and closer. We'll have a lot more detailed info on that. Brent Flair going to join us. And coming up, uh, I believe, next week we'll even, we'll be having – I think this might be the first time ever, Bill, that people are going to hear directly from the Philadelphia Flyers scouts. We're going to have uh, Scouts Week, and we're going to be talking to the guys all over the globe, as a matter of fact. And uh, fans are finally going to get to hear from the scouts and kind of what goes into that process. I think they're going to be really intrigued by that. You talk to scouts it's quite a, a bit. It, yeah. Oh, it's uh, – yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm fascinated by the work that they do, and nobody works harder in an organization throughout, throughout the season, logs more miles, and, you know, and these guys, these guys are passionate about what they do. Some of the some of the behind the scenes stories, and you don't really you know can't have it about the current draft or the last year guys in the system. But sometimes sometimes the most fascinating going back in time is hearing you know hearing hearing who was rated where and what the discussions were and you know how teams moved around and what the reasoning is behind it. I mean the you know these guys really it's really nonstop. They get a very they get a very short break every year, and they you know these guys really work very very hard. And the Flyers. You know, the Flyers, to their credit, have, I think, one of the best amateur scouting staffs across the league. Yep, and we'll talk to those guys coming up as well. We'll talk to you again coming up, Bill. As always, thanks for doing this. Great stuff. Some of your best work of the season here. And uh, we appreciate you joining us on Flyers Daily. My pleasure. Thanks to Bill Meltzer for joining us. Uh, we went a little longer than we intended, but uh, there was a lot to talk about. Flyers Daily is presented by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. Supporting our Flyers, Penn Orthopedics creates the ideal care plan with treatment options fueled by our own world-renowned research, doing what once seemed impossible so you can too. Another reason why your life is worth Penn Medicine. Learn more at pennmedicine.org ortho and give them a follow on Twitter at Penn Medicine. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyers Daily. We'll be back on Friday with another all brand new episode. In the meantime, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time.